Hey you, come here. I want to tell you something. Do you ever want to be who they want a podcast? Then all you need is Anchor. It's the easiest way to start, and it's free. It has access to tools right at your fingertips. Plus, Anchor does the distribution work for you. You heard me, for you. So all you have to do is download, record, and upload. That's simple. Join anchor.fm today and get to podcasting. Mwah. Welcome, welcome, podcast land. You are now tuning in to full disclosure with the phenomenal, amazing, spectacular Rainbow Pro 87, the mm-hmm. social media enthusiast icon, fashionista, and more. Get ready for an incredible full disclosure Friday. <laughs> Thank you for that great introduction. Love the voice. Um, so hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to Full Disclosure Friday with me, Rainbow Pro 87. And uh, today, um, we are going to be touching on a lot of different topics um, within the topics that we touched on last week. So I might go in depth in some of the things that I mentioned um, last week, but definitely we're going to be talking about some new things. So um, I'm really excited to um, just chat with you guys tonight. Hope everybody had a great week. Hope everybody was safe um, and took some time to heal. And I hope at this time that you're listening to this, you're taking some time for yourself as well to relax and heal. And hopefully our smooth voices uh, will soothe you. Uh, but we're going to jump right into it today, you guys, because I took the liberty to do a little bit of research as I actually prepared this time. Um, and I wanted to, uh, I was curious, actually, my curiosity kind of got the best of me. And usually when I have a question, I do some research, even if it's not for a particular reason. I just wanted to know how many black owned businesses you know, are out there right now existing in 2021. Um, and so unfortunately I wasn't able to find the answer, like something that I could consider a reliable source, but the census um, did a, it's called the annual business survey. And so the census pretty much uh, also encompassed some of the minority, quote unquote, minority owned businesses. And it did a little bit of a breakdown. So I'm going to I'm gonna give you guys that information today so we can kind of segue into um, entrepreneurship and Black-owned businesses in particular. So the annual business survey um, was conducted in, tw- it was based off of the two- 2018 census. And so these statistics pretty much were published in 2019. So basically what they gave us was uh, a total, a total of minority businesses. So we have about what they said was 18.3% of all U.S. businesses are minority owned. And I hate using the word minority, but that's the word that was published. So I'm relaying the information that way. So just to clarify what they mean by minority, that includes not only Black and Hispanic and Asian and um, Alaska Native Pacific Islanders, but it also includes veteran-owned businesses. So out of the 18.3% of U.S. businesses that are minority-owned, it says about 19.9% of all businesses were owned by women. So I thought it was a pretty um, cool statistic. Um, of course, you know, that does include all the different ethnic groups that I mentioned. Um, And then I was curious about, you know, even further. Um, So they gave us some more numbers. So 124,551 of those businesses were owned by Blacks or African Americans. And I'm curious to know what they mean by that, because I'm pretty sure that includes African people that are considered themselves African or black. Um, 
but you know there's no way for us to really know those numbers um, unless we conduct a survey on our own and out of those 124 um, and a half thousand businesses that are owned by blacks or african americans the majority of them about about 28 percent about 30 percent are in healthcare and social assistance so i just thought that was really interesting um because I know that the pandemic has afforded a lot of black owned businesses to kind of get back on track and grow. I mean, it definitely hurt a lot of businesses, but it definitely allowed some people to be forced to go into business because they lost their jobs or their employment has changed. So I'm curious to know what the next census is going to look like when it comes to black owned businesses in particular. Um, I think it's interesting, of course, that, you know, there are, well, I, I, the article definitely told us about um, the amount of dollars that are, that, you know, those businesses are bringing in. So the highest, the highest um, revenue, I guess, source of minority businesses total are Asian owned businesses with, you know, majority of that being in the food service industry, which I'm not surprised um, because uh, Chinese restaurants do pretty well in the, in the United States. So, um, but with that said, with those statistics, it just said something to me that, um, you know, is not really highlighted in our everyday life that black people are business owners and that they are being, you know, owning businesses in, in healthcare and social assistance services. Um, and so I wanted to take a, take a chance to, to highlight some of the black owned businesses that I've personally um, dealt with and, you know, known um, that I've had a chance to network with, um, just to name a few. The first one, I'm going to highlight my own, of course. So my business is called Uniqueen Care. So it's pretty much a uh, skincare uh, business. We do like soaps and shea butter and uh, body mists and things like that. And so pretty much Uniqueen Care is not only just for like you know, here, take your shea butter and put it on your body. It's a way to encourage people to uh, take time for themselves and to practice self-care. So it doesn't really, I guess, fall under the healthcare uh, category, you know, properly, but it is a form of self-care and the brand itself is to promote that with, you know, taking time to butter yourself and scent yourself and soap yourself. So I didn't want to show you guys a couple of those um, examples. I did pull out some of my soaps. So these soaps are shea butter based, shea and mango butter based. So this is one of our scents, which is the, the vanilla raspberry scent. And it's in the shape of a unicorn. Um, and these soaps are about $6. If you catch them on sale, they might be $5 or $4, depending on the month. Um, but yeah, I saw these on my website. Um, so it's uniqueencare- It's shopify.com uniqueencare, okay? So you can find them on my website. Also, you can also find uniqueen underscore care at, on Instagram. So it's at uniqueen underscore care. Um, and that will direct you to my website if you don't know how to access the Shopify. But um, these are on there. So I have four scents now. I have the vanilla raspberry scent. I also have the pina colada. This one is one of our best sellers as well. So it smells kind of like pineapple and coconut. Um, and they're really, they're not horribly strong scented, but um, this one is, wait, this one is, oh, that's a, that's a duplicate one. It's still the vanilla, I mean, it's, it's still the pina colada, but it's just in the, the brown one, brown un unicorn. And this is also a bestseller. This is the um, Magic Berry Sherbet, and it literally smells like candy. Like when I think of like Smarties, this is what it smells like. And these lather up very, very well. Even though they're mango and shea butter base, they lather. And when they whittle down, they still keep the shape of the unicorn, which I think is so cool. So this is perfect for all ages, um, ages six to 61. I've had customers really, really enjoy these. And our newest scent, our newest scent is Fairy Tale Romance. So 
So fairy tale romance is more of a floral scent. So it's more of a floral floral scent, but it definitely um, gives you like I don't know peach blossoms um, with this scent, and it has a little bit of a shimmer to it as well. So I know you guys can see that, but the lighting might not allow you to. So that's the first business I want to highlight. But like I said, we have also body frostings, body glaze, and all those scents, as well as um, body mist. So definitely check out at uniqueen underscore care on Instagram and you can click the link in the bio to get to the website to purchase. Also, um, I have this bracelet on. This bracelet was made and I'll show you. It's a handmade bracelet by Inside My Universe and she is um, not only a black entrepreneur, but she's also a disabled um, black woman and she promotes um, she promotes, you know, her community, which is also disability, the disability community. And this month of July is Disability Awareness Month. So definitely check out Inside My Universe. It's at underscore, it's at inside underscore my underscore universe. And she makes waist beads, anklets, bracelets, anything custom. You can honestly contact her and say what color you want. Um, what jewels, what charms you want, everything like that. But she also makes these in plus sizes. So her sizes go up to, I think, 6X for the waist beads. So definitely check out Inside My Universe. That's inside underscore my underscore universe. Um, and tell her I sent you and uh, we'll shout you out. Also, I would like to highlight who they want <laughs> entertainment LLC, which is another black owned business that I am working with right now um, to present this podcast to you. And so definitely uh, keep supporting who they want and um, enjoy all the great content that, uh, that they have there that he presents not only on Facebook, but also on Anchor, Spotify, I believe Apple. So um, all of the podcasts that are presented on this live as well, um, maybe found over there on those audio uh, platforms as well. And um, I also don't want to be remiss to, I have written some things down this time, okay, you guys. Um, so Tej Bath, that's what it was. Tej, Tej Bath Company um, is one of my great entrepreneurship partnerships that I work with to bring my Uniqueen line into fruition, but she also has um, sugar scrubs and other baby care lines, and there's so many other things that she has over on her site, so definitely check out Tej Bath Company as well for your self-care needs. And last but not least, I want to give a big shout out to um, Muse Intimates, which is a artist Jay Styles, he creates um, lingerie sets and athleisure um, and he does custom work as well. He's done a couple pieces for me and we've done some business together to create uh, my line Social Just Chicks which is also um, a athleisure type of line but it's mostly like tanks or sports bras and, um, and boxers or uh, booty shorts, <laughs> I guess you could say booty shorts. Um, but yeah, that that those are all the businesses I wanted to present tonight. But there's so 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 many more. There's so many awesome artists, um, and just do what you're what you can to support these black businesses. I always think of it as, um, you know, when you reinvest in your community, then you start to understand what it's like to be in business and support your community and actively do it, and not just say like, okay, well. You know these black businesses they don't you know do business like everybody else or they try they charge too much um just get in tune you know there's a lot of ways that you can support businesses but um definitely take make it your make it your uh habit to try some new black businesses and seek out black businesses so we can keep our community growing okay so yes i just wanted to present that to you guys today because um yeah, and not only do we um, want to be supporting our Black businesses, but also organizations that help Black people. 
And I talked about this before on previous episodes um, that I dedicate um, my revenue from my OnlyFans page to support Black organizations, organizations that help Black people. And one of those is called Black Girls Code. And I don't know how to code personally. That's not something that I've been ever really um, talented at is technology. But one thing that I would want my children and my students to learn is to um, get into the IT field because we have a lot of black girl techs, okay? I have some personal friends that are in tech and it's a great field. Um, It's a lucrative field and it's a specialized field. So even though I personally don't have the time to learn how to code or I'm not able to um, dedicate my time to that right now, um, I'm not going to say I can't do it because I probably can't, but I'm just saying that <laughs> it's not on my radar to learn how to do it at this time in my life. So I support Black Girls Code. You can look it up, blackgirlscode.com. They basically teach young black girls how to code. They have summer camps and programs and after school programs um, to dedicate to teaching um, black girls how to code and create programming. And that's that's what I want. I want a black girl to to code my website personally. So that's what I like to invest in. So if you're not buying products, think about organizations that you would like to support that deal with promoting um, job skills and career skills for our young black youth, okay? So yes, that is pretty much my spiel on entrepreneur talk. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about budgeting, budgeting, um, and I do want to make a quick moment mention about that, um, because I was in a thread, I think it was black millionaires on Instagram this week, and they were talking about, you know, the best credit cards to get if you're a black business owner and they gave some, you know, examples, whatever. And I'm not going to say I promote or deny any of those, but I, I started reading some of the comments as I usually do. And someone was very like, you know, they, they basically were saying like, you know, you're using money that's not yours and you're going to be in further in debt and X, Y, Z and boom, bat. So I just want to share this tip that I recently learned. Once, once again, I'm 33 years old and I just learned this this year or last year about credit cards um, because I've had a credit card since probably since my credit was really, really good <laughs> before I started using credit cards. So I was probably like in my early 20s. And, um, yeah, I didn't, nobody ever taught me what credit was supposed to be used for, what it was supposed to do. Um, and a lot of times the scary part about, you know, budgeting and finances is that we just don't have all the information or hands-on practice or teaching. Like nobody's there to tell us like, this is what's for this. And this is how you build equity. Okay. So, um, but I thought about it because I'm like, yeah, I, thought the same way that she thought. I thought that, you know, credit cards pretty much, credit card companies pretty much prey on people who have low credit scores to take out more credit because, you know, they know that you're going to use it and you just continuously get more and more debt. And that is 100% true. But in order to beat the system, um, use your, your, what do they call it? Your um, liquid assets, your liquid funds, right? Your liquid funds, the, the money that you make from your business or whatever your job is um, and start saving. Start saving little by little toward certain things. So for example, if you are saving for vacation right now, and this is my story, if you're saving for vacation right now and you saved up you know, a couple hundred dollars for vacation um, and you have a credit card, then your best bet is to figure out how you can pay your credit down so that you can make an extra payment on your credit card before it's due, before it's due, okay? Make an extra payment on your credit card of your liquid funds so that when you go on vacation, you can use that credit card. And that way, when you do make your payments back, you can pay it off in full, okay? So I got a new credit card basically, and I tried it out because I was like, well, I guess I don't really have, you know, a specific need for this credit card. I usually just use credit cards for gas and then pay it off or whatever the case is, or sometimes an emergency purpose. Um, but instead, 
I had the money saved up for vacation. And so then when I used the credit card, I was able to take the money that I had saved for, for vacation and just paid it off in full. So my balance was back down to zero. Um, and then that reflects on my credit score, which means that my credit will go up. And the purpose of a credit score is pretty much so that you can compete. That's the only thing a credit score is because if your credit is low or not up to a certain standard, that's just another excuse as a black person for them to disqualify you from, you know, basically investing in whatever you want to invest in, whether it's a loan, whether it's buying a house, whether it's getting a car, whatever the case is. Um, and, and I think that, you know, this is something that I'm just learning at 33 years old, old, but, um, now that I know it, I can't go back to the way I was before. So hopefully if somebody's hearing this, this will encourage them to take a, a better, a, another look at their finances and your credit and everything and decide what you want to do moving forward. Um, because eventually I would like to buy a house. I would eventually, you know, like to take on some more heavier um, expenses in that way that I can afford. Not that I can't afford, but that ones that I actually can afford. Um, but to be able to buy a house or something larger, um, you have to have a credit score that is looks good on paper. So before they even see your brown face, they'll have no reason to deny you or, or, or disqualify you. So that is just a little bit of a finance tip. And I'm not a financial advisor by any means. I'm learning, you guys, just along with you guys. So um, do your research. I mean, take this with a grain of salt, but also do your research. If you are living in fear of not being able to do certain things, um, just make sure you do your research because that will empower you to take some take some responsibility and take things into your own hands um, and not completely fear the credit system because it's set up not to help us. But if we know how to play the game, then we'll be able to thrive just as any other business owner can thrive as well. Okay. So yeah. So next you guys, um, I just want to talk a little bit about, um, because I'm, I'm a part of a forum called, uh, therapy for black girls. Okay. And this week they were talking about a lot of different, um, triggers and, um, stimuli that has to deal with black being black and being female. And one of the things that they talked about was our hair. So I know recently there's been an, another uproar, yet another uproar about, you know, black women wearing bonnets and in public and X, Y, Z and you know, presentable hair um, with the crown movement. As you guys uh, may have seen on my Instagram, I participated in the crown movement, um, which is basically legislation to abolish um, hair discrimination, okay? Because that is legal still in some states. Um, I, think, I think they have 28 states that are, um, that have already passed the movement, meaning that it is illegal to discriminate against hair in the workplace specifically. Um, but then that means that there are still, let me do the math, 22, 22 states that are still um, legally able to discriminate against hair in the workplace. Okay, so that includes braids, locks, afros, um, whatever, bonnets, uh, do-rags, um, scarves, whatever, however you want to wear your hair. Um, because I know a lot of girls, a lot of women like to wrap their hair up now because that's just, you know, the, the move right now. I just, I got, I got one of these little African doobies. Uh, what are these things called? Turbans. And I love this thing. I wore this probably like seven days this week to work and everything. So, um, so they talked about, well, they presented like, what are some things that have been said about your hair? Um, either overtly or covertly or whatever that has like changed your life or that that you recall I guess you could say um and I of course chimed in because I was like you know what ever since I was a little girl ever since I can remember my hair has been a topic of discussion and these are not like white people coming in and saying uh you know uh your hair this is not that this is uh <laughs> this is my own black community 
responding to my natural hair, right? So even when I was a little girl, uh, I would receive comments of, you know, your hair is too thick. Your hair is too much. You need to do something with your hair. You're tender headed. You have to get a perm X, Y, Z. Um, and these are, these are things that are very triggering to me in particular, because um, since I was a little girl, my hair has been a major part of my identity. Um, and I know that a lot of black women have experienced um, hair, hair discrimination in their own families, right? In their own community. Um, you know, signifying that their hair is good hair, bad hair, um, you know, what, they, what to do with their hair, what not to do with their hair. Um, and now at this point in 2021, we are in a way trying to take back our power when it comes to our hair, but those, those traumas still exist. And I have to say from experience, those traumas still exist. So, um, so I just wanted to, to touch on that today because um, it was on my mind and I started thinking about, you know, as a little girl, you know, when I first got a relaxer in my hair, I was like six years old. And it was because my mom, she had gotten sick and she wasn't able to wash and style my hair anymore. It was, it was too much. Um, and, and anybody else that was, you know, asked to do my hair, it was too much. So the only thing that I could do or the only thing that I was able to do or my family was able to do was perm my hair. And then when my hair started to, um, you know, lose its health basically from improper care, cause I was a kid, I didn't know how to take care of my hair on my own. So I was at the subject of whatever knowledge that they had at the time, which was very little when it came to dealing with natural hair. Um, I pretty much went through identity crisis. I went from having long thick hair to having short, breaky, brittle hair. And there's nothing wrong with short hair. But as a kid, I was just like basically traumatized. Like I didn't know what to do. So now I'm Rainbow Fro 87 and it's still a part of my identity online and offline. And I started to think about, you know, how doing my hair online has helped me heal from a lot of the traumas because I will get on camera and show my hair in its natural state, in its shrunken state, um, in its blowout state like it is today. I mean, instead of, you know, relying on wigs and weaves all the time, I personally don't, even though I love wigs and weaves, not knocking it at all. Um, and I love scarves and, and I love bonnets, but you know, instead of always covering up my hair when it's not done, I have kind of changed or tried to heal from that trauma by presenting my hair in its natural in its natural state and getting used to showing people what hair my hair looks like so that nobody can like I mean, I guess people can criticize it, but <laughs> but I don't have to feel ashamed, you know. It's pretty much all about me is that I don't have to feel ashamed about, you know, what I look like when I'm not, you know, done up uh, to, to perfection or whatever the case is. Um, so I encourage other women and men to, uh, see, look, it's just doing its thing right now, um, to revisit, I guess, some of those things that might have been, be still sticking with you that have to do with your overall appearance. Um, and this can include, and it's not limited to hair, um, but it also can, can include skin color, um, which is the next thing I would like to, to present or talk about is uh, colorism. And I know that's like a touchy subject in the black community because we know it exists. We don't really wanna, you know, admit that we have perpetuated it in our own, uh, within our own race, but we do and we continue, we have and we continue to um, and it's really a part, I want to say, it's a part of African-American culture. Unfortunately, um, it is it is what it is. But I remember, and I was telling my mom, I was having this conversation with her, like the other day, um, about skin color. So in my family, um, my mom is, I consider her to be light skin, and my grandmother is light skin, and my dad is dark skin my brother is dark skin okay so this is kind of like and then i have an aunt who is also dark skin and then her husband and my cousin are also darker skinned and then we have like other family members that are mixed so they're like light, lighter skinned of course 
And so I remember as a kid, um, recognizing that, of course, other kids made fun of, of kids that were dark, darker skin, you know, black, other black kids are making fun of kids that were darker skin. And me being a brown skin girl, I consider myself dark skin. And, um, and I remember, you know, looking at my mom and, and thinking like, if I, if my skin was like lighter, like hers, um, I would be considered more pretty. I would be, you know, considered a pretty girl, um, to my classmates and whoever, you know, like that, that is something that I thought. And it's funny that I, no one, you know, in my family directly said, you are darker than your mother, you're darker than your grandmother. But it was at some point in my childhood, I was exposed to those, those, uh, those, I guess you could say stimuli. And I, I had those thoughts. So as an adult, I'm having this conversation with my mom, probably for the first time. And, uh, she was like, I'm light skinned. <laughs> and I wanted, and I, and I kind of like laughed because I thought she was being like, you know, I thought she was like, you know, I don't know. I thought she was kind of trolling me or whatever. She was like, I'm light skinned. And I was like, yeah, like you're considered light skinned. And um, she was like, well, you and I are almost like the same color. And I was like, almost, but not the same, you know? And I think that, you know, it really didn't, maybe she had that experience of, she never thought that she, she never felt like she was light skinned, but she's probably received um, feedback from other women that are darker than her that perceived her as light skinned. I said, yeah, when, when women who are darker than you when women, okay, so for women that are my complexion or darker, walk into a room and they see women that are lighter of lighter complexion, correct me if I'm wrong, okay, a thought happens, right? Not immediately like a bad thought, but a thought happens because we are conditioned in our society to value women that are of lighter complexion. And we see it all the time we've been seeing and it's been reiterated in the media. So as a woman that's a brown skinned woman in the summertime, I get really, really brown. Um, people will say, oh, you've gotten dark or you've been in the sun or whatever, you know, just those little comments. And you kind of want to like, you know, take away your, you know, your darkness just so that you could be more presentable for what people notice is that you know, you're darker now. Um, and then another, another, uh, you know, separate situation was I had, I had a friend, actually I was dating this person. So let me come correct. Okay. This is full disclosure. I was dating this, this woman and she was, she was very light skinned. Like she was uh, almost to the point where a couple of my other friends thought that she was albino. Okay. And so her experience, she, she um, confessed to me that when she was growing up, she would be bullied by, by dark-skinned women. And so her, um, so when she sees dark-skinned women, she uh, is re-traumatized and she thinks that they're talking about her or she thinks that they're thinking of her in a certain way. And so I just wanted to present that as food for thought because we do kind of as as the as we talk about the colorism we also understand that people of darker skin complexion have been discriminated against and also people of light skin complexion have been discriminated against within our community we place value on skin color whether it's psychologically or whether yeah whether it's psychologically or we you know do it overtly to say oh well you know I love me a bread bone woman. You know, how many times we've heard that? Um, or dark skinned guys, you know, do it better, whatever the case is. We've, we've always placed some type of value on skin color when it comes to people. Um, but I just want to open the conversation because it, those two types of situations coming from my perspective, um, 
I didn't realize, I didn't realize that a person of a different skin tone as me um, in, the, in the black community could also experience such trauma because I thought of it as like, well, you've always been privileged, right? You have the light skin privilege, um, but it's not always that. And I think that, you know, we do have, um, it's different, you know, for dark skinned women and light skinned women, because even though they might have been bullied or faced some type of discrimination within the black community, that that's privilege still exists on the other side, right? As far as white passing. But if we're taking away, you know, we're, if we're taking away all the outside sources and we're just talking about in the black community, um, we have to be a little bit more cognizant and realize that um, we can change our perspective on colorism with our youth today, okay? So as a teacher, I have a lot of students, different complexions, different colors, different hair types, whatever. And I would notice that a lot of the teachers would comment on little girls that light, little light skin girls and say, oh, you're so, it's just a pretty girl. Um, but they would never really comment on the dark skin girls, right? Of the girls that were browner, brown like me. Um, and so I made it a point to highlight these little girls and say, you know, I love the way that your hair looks today. I love the way, and these are superficial things, but please understand that these is at an early age, this is where young girls, young children get their identities from, right? Somebody telling them that they're smart, that they're beautiful, and telling them that they have um, features that are worthy of admiring, okay? So not to say, oh, you're, you're cute for a chocolate girl, eh, not that, okay? Just a blanket statement to say, you look beautiful today, you are a beautiful girl, you are an intelligent girl, your skin is glowing, you know, just, just the things that are, you know, genuine compliments, but recognizing and so that, that they don't have to think that they're only pretty if they have weave in their hair or their hair is pressed or, you know, that they're not as pretty as the other girl that's sitting next to her that has lighter complexion. Just making sure that we give an equal, um, and this is not for just little girls, little boys too, boys and girls, okay? Boys, girls, and everything in between. Recognizing that um, the identity that children are you know building right now is coming from the adults that they interact with um and kind of erasing those trauma it's too late for me i'm i'm traumatized i get re-traumatized often but the little the children we can save the kids okay so just considering that you know considering your own trauma and not perpetuating it throughout the rest of your interactions with youth and the youth in your family um, that would be dope. That would be dope. So another thing to work on as we go, you know, through our lives and, um, interact with each other in this world. Okay. So with that said, you guys, I'm going to go ahead and segue into unpopular opinions. Okay. Unpopular opinions and of societal norms. Okay. So, um, I love to bring up polyamory because I personally find it interesting, even though I consider myself a polyamorous person, um, I also don't necessarily align or relate with many different types of polyamory, okay? So I can't say like I am a poster child for poly, but I find it interesting because, hear me out, you guys, um, there's so many, so many um, memes and forums where people are talking about, you know, men cheating on women and women cheating on men. Okay, so yes, we're gonna we're gonna touch on the cheating subject. I am not exempt. I don't consider myself a cheater, but in my journey of partnership, monogamous partnership. Um, there's always been that thought in the back of my head to say like, is monogamy right for me? Okay. Um, and instances of 
you know, wanting to basically break my relationship because I feel like I can't be faithful or I won't be faithful or whatever the case is, right? Um, some people don't do that. Some people just cheat with reckless abandon until they get caught or they have to confess. And then, you know, the damage is done. They've traumatized their partner. Um, so I'm going to talk about polyamory, not as a response to people cheating, but as a food for thoughts, okay? If you're in a relationship and you have a side chick or a side chuck, whatever your your game is, right? And you're currently getting away with your cheating, okay? You're currently in the good. Everybody's happy. At some point, at some point, do you think that how you're living your life is acceptable, okay? And this is not me preaching and trying to get you to like feel bad about yourself, but if you feel as if you love your side chuck or your side chick, right? You love your main person, right? And you have love for both of those people and they love you. And maybe they don't know about each other. Maybe they do. Maybe one person knows about the other, whatever the case is. You might be a polyamorous person. Now, this is not to say that you are a person that continuously cheats not, not only are you cheating on your main you're cheating on your side chick or side chuck too you are just basically loving another person in a different way but just as deeply as you fell in love with one person with a monogamous contract and i just say that the consider this because you might be in a position where you are on your journey to polyamory because it's not like you just wake up in the morning and you say, I'm going to be polyamorous. Something has to happen and you have to self-reflect to, to understand that I am capable of loving more than one person at the same time. In fact, loving more than one person makes me feel whole and not look at it as I have to you know, live in secret. Um, because, you know, this person right here won't accept me if I tell them that this is the type of person that I am. And it can be a trauma response if you are possibly, you know, coming from a relationship where you've been cheated on or you've been heartbroken or whatever the case is. But that's for you to decide. That's for you to reflect. That's for you to, to talk to your therapist about. But if you do find that, this is what you, this is what you makes you feel whole, then maybe you should consider coming out. <laughs> okay. Come out, come out. How I found out that I was polyamorous wasn't based off of cheating or anything. What it came to was that I had love. I have love for my partner and I've had love for my partner since I met her. And I didn't know that it was okay. So I dated other people trying to feel the same love, but also keeping the love that I had. And the contracts were messed up because the people I was dating didn't understand the relationship I had with my partner that I have with my partner now. And they were intimidated and they were uh, perplexed and, and bothered by it. And I wasn't able to explain it. And then I realized that this person I want to spend the rest of my life with. And it wasn't to negate the love that I had for the others. It just was, I wasn't able to explain it before we got into a con contract, I guess you could say. I call it a contract if you are in a relationship, right? Because you do have a contract. Um, but yeah. And so I wasn't able to explain it. And then I finally decided like, I'm not going to, I'm going to live my truth, right? I'm going to live my truth. I'm going to, um, yeah, I'm going to tell, tell people up front that this is a this is a love of my life. I love this person and I have room to love you too. And, um, I'm not going to say it went over very well, but at least I felt more comfortable, um, telling people, you know, about this and uh, on top of it, it makes me feel so much more comfortable when I talk to my partner about 
other people that I'm interested in. It's like so therapeutic because if I'm interested in someone else, um, I can tell her how I'm feeling, how they make me feel. And I don't have to keep it to myself like it's like it's a, a big taboo. Um, and so I just I just want to say that I'm not pushing the agenda and say, you know, everybody be poly. I mean, some people are poly and some people are just narcissists. <laughs> um, and so poly is not for people that are narcissists. I mean, it really is a reciprocation of love for you to be able to treat your um, main person. And, and I, I want to kind of like get away from saying main, but from the person that you establish a relationship with to the to your other partners that you are building relationships with right because they don't all start at the same time um if you can exhibit love and reciprocate love and and receive love from your partners and the relationship doesn't suffer or you're not doing it out of spite or you're not doing it to um hurt someone then you possibly could be a polyamorous person. And um, and if you find yourself, you know, just feeling empty within your relationship, please be single first. Don't go from relationship to relationship. Be single first. Reflect on what you can do, what you want on a relationship, and then go from there. Um, because it is, it is a trend, I guess you could say. A lot of people are, are getting more comfortable with coming out as poly and there are people out there that are accepting of that and you could be living a wonderful loving life um you know if you choose to so i know it sounds like i'm promoting it but i'm really just giving you i'm really just giving you what i what i've gone through and i have to say that you know just because you're a poly person doesn't mean that you are in relationships all the time so I have a person that I've been in a relationship with for a long time and I desire to have other partners, but I'm not making an effort to go out and collect partners. I have a few really strong connections with partners. And for me, sex is not a condition of partnership. It might be for others. So I'm not going to say that everybody has to, that's why I say like, I don't fit into the polyamory, like, um, textbook because a lot of times that includes sexual and intimate or I'll say sexual you know um, contact but for me I'm not motivated by sex sex is not a condition of my relationship so it, we can have sex if we want to um, but it's not required and uh, and for me that makes me even more free to be able to tell people that I just desire intimacy. I don't necessarily need your sex. Um, and they might need sex. That's what they want, you know? And so that, therefore, we wouldn't be compatible if that's really what they're looking for from me. Um, but I just wanted to give give that little disclosure for the people out there that might be listening, that might be poly, that, you know, might be thinking that, they, that something is wrong with them if they are not... Um, motivated by sex within their relationship there was a uh there was a, a lesbian uh influencer the lesbian influence i forget her name i wish i could re recall but some she posted a video that this woman was like i am not a lesbian this is separate from poly but this this is a part of being demisexual or asexual right she was like i am not a lesbian i've been my partner for 28 years and that does not make me a le lesbian i do not want to do anything sexual with women and, you know, the comments, of course, because it was a lesbian platform, they were like, oh, yeah, throw her in the hamper. Um, but it it resonated with me a little bit because I feel like even though Rainbow for 87 is a sexualized being, um, goddess <laughs> that she is, um, I don't consider myself to be a sexual, like, overtly sexual person. Um and I can't help how people respond to my energy, but at the same time, um, I think what I resonated with was that in my past relationships, even if they start off sexual, that's never the goal. That's never, I, I'm never like, oh my God, I can't wait to have sex with this person. 
literally that's never the goal i can't wait to know your favorite disney movie i can't wait to do your you know grease your scalp that's the companionship that i'm looking for you know i can't wait to um you know show you how to i how i can cook and eat your cooking and like those are the sentiments that kind of come to me when i think about getting to know somebody in relationship and so i commented on this this person's page and i said you know she might be a person that is um really just looking just there in the relationship for companionship and that's perfectly fine and so kind of bringing it back to the poly situation you might have partners that are just there for companionship. You might be somebody's partner that you're just there for companionship. And your partner might be jealous because they think that you're having sex with this person or that you are giving this person attention because of X, Y, Z. But no, they bring out something in you and it's not about sex. So I just say all that to say, like, there's so much to learn when it comes to relationships. And there's so much to consider as adults as we work through our traumas and try to heal from all of the things that we've been fed over our lifetime either by society media our families just pressure in general i mean i remember as a girl a little girl i mean my my thing was like when am i gonna have my first kiss you know um and although kissing is really one of my favorite activities when it comes to intimacy um, you know, at that point I was like, you know, I gotta, I gotta do it because if I don't, then I'm going to be seen as unattractive or undesirable or X, Y, Z, you know? And so when it did happen, I was, I was a little disappointed because I thought it was going to be more than what it was. I enjoyed it, but at the same time I thought, okay, I thought I was going to fall in love after this kiss, you know, via Disney. Thanks, Disney. Uh, for letting me down. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I just say all these things to just open up our minds a little bit more, you know. Um, you know, I I try to consider that we're all traumatized in some way. And I don't really mean that in a negative way, is that we've had experiences that have affected us and we've responded to it. And we've took on identities based off of that response. So when I say traumatized, I mean that that process that we have shaped ourselves to be today. Um, so sometimes we have to unfuck ourselves. And that's a book. I didn't read it, but that's a book title that somebody recommended me to read. But we have to unfuck ourselves and we have to undo the things that we've learned that may have shaped us to develop, I would say, bad behavior or just behavior or reactions and make us think like this is the way it should be. If we take away that and just say, open ourselves up to other ways, maybe we would be able to heal and to heal as a community. So that is the full disclosure for tonight, you guys. I hope you enjoyed me rambling. I hope you took a, took a bath. I hope you relaxed. I hope you drank a glass of wine as you listen to uh, these words. And definitely, once again, check out some of the Black-owned businesses that um, I talked about today. Um, check out Black Girls Code. They're an awesome organization. And I hope to see you guys soon. I won't be in next week, but the week after that, I'll see you guys for Full Disclosure Fridays. Take care. Peace. Hey, this has been episode two of Full Disclosure <laughs> Friday. Follow Rainbow Pro 87 on Instagram and tune in before this goes on Friday. So, please be up next and we're out.